Hello, pharmacists and friends. Today is November 13th, 2023. Welcome to The Regimen, where public health pharmacists, pharmacy students, and our guests discuss the latest public health issues. Listen in to find out how pharmacists and pharmacy students like me can improve population health, health equity, and patient care through advocacy and education. My name is Elisa Perino, and I'm a final year pharmacy student at the University of Rhode Island, working with the Rhode Island Department of Health alongside my professor, Dr. Bratberg. And hello there, folks. I'm Jeff Bratberg. I'm a clinical professor of pharmacy practice and clinical research at the University of Rhode Island College of Pharmacy and the Academic Collaborations Officer at the Rhode Island Department of Health. As a reminder to our listeners, the opinions expressed in the podcast by the hosts and guests don't represent the opinions of the United States government, the Rhode Island Department of Health, nor the University of Rhode Island. So today we're going to be talking about the use of doxycycline for post-exposure prophylaxis, or doxypep for short, for the prevention of sexually transmitted infections. To help guide us through today's conversation, we are joined by an incredible guest, Dr. Philip Chan, who I will let Dr. Bratberg introduce. All right, so it's super excited to have uh, Dr. Chan here. Uh, it's a. Uh, it's. Uh, I was on uh, Dr. Chan's podcast uh, about a about a year ago, so it's great to have him join us. Of course, on that podcast, we talked about how uh, on the first day you were a medical student or your residency, you were on ID, and uh, and and here we are today, leading public health in Rhode Island, and uh, and I think you have a you have a pharmacy connection too. Well, first off, thank you both so much uh, for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, and yes, uh, Dr. Brackberg, you were one of the first people that I met here in Rhode Island. Uh, so thank you again for all your uh, shared uh, learning and experiences over the year. And yes, as well, my wife is actually a pharmacist, uh, having graduated from the URI pharmacy program uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's great. And and all, all in the podcast family here, we had the honor of um, uh, having uh, your Open Door Health uh, colleague uh, on the podcast talking about pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV, and we've got exciting things going on with pharmacists now able to uh, prescribe and administer PrEP, and so I'm sure we'll have another session on that. Uh, but why don't you give us a, a few more points about you, Dr. Chan, and then we'll get to our questions. Wonderful. Yeah, so thank you. So I am uh, on staff at Lifespan Brown University. Uh, also work uh, part-time for the Rhode Island Department of Health, as many people may be aware. And my clinical home and where I do all my clinical work is uh, Open Door Health, where I serve as chief medical officer. Open Door Health is a clinic I started with Dr. Amy Nunn, uh, also a professor over at Brown. And we opened this clinic in 2020 to uh, improve primary care access and specifically with a focus on the LGBTQ population. And it was really, you know, a uh, accumulation of work from the last decade where Really, one of the biggest things we heard about is, you know, I can't find a primary care doctor. I can't find a primary care doctor. Uh, and so we uh, we opened a clinic. And expanding and all kinds of wonderful things. And we hope to have lots of future collaborations between URI and, and Open Door Health. I look forward. Thank you both again. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So you're a perfect fit for today's conversation. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of background before we jump into the questions. Um, so we're talking about um, STI, sexually transmitted infections, which are a longstanding public health concern that really require discussions like this and action to be taken. So um, over the last decades, STIs like syphilis, chlamydia, and gonorrhea have increased significantly in the United States. 
Um, we've seen these same kind of trends in Rhode Island as well, where cases of syphilis, chlamydia, and gonorrhea continue to rise. Um, and it's important to note that this um, impacts populations of gay, bisexual, and men who have sex with men, as well as transgender women disproportionately to other populations. Um, and it's also known that STIs are spread easily and if left untreated can have some serious long-term consequences, which is why many public health professionals have begun to explore new harm reduction strategies, including chemoprophylaxis, um, specifically the use of doxycycline, which is a well-tolerated and commonly used antibiotic in STI treatment as post-exposure um, prophylaxis to prevent the spread of STIs. Um, and this tool really gained its popularity after um, data presented in the 2022 International AIDS Conference showed that Doxypep demonstrated um, significant effectiveness and tolerability against these common STIs. So Dr. Chan, to begin our discussion today, you already touched a bit on open door health, but do you mind telling us a bit about um, the work that you do here in Rhode Island for sexually transmitted diseases? Sure. So I serve as a consultant medical director for our Center for HIV, uh, Viral Hepatitis, uh, STIs, and TB here at the Rhode Island Department of Health. And it's part of that program uh, with a number of amazing people, including Tom Bertrand, who's the chief over there. Uh, the Department of Health conducts surveillance on STIs. And I think when we talk about sexually transmitted infections or STIs, you know, things like HIV get a lot of attention and it should get a lot of attention. Uh, you know, there's a lot of morbidity and mortality associated with HIV. We've made a lot of strides uh, against HIV, including HIV pre-exposure, prophylaxis, pill a day that can prevent HIV. Now there's injectables for HIV prep. Uh, so we've really come a long way. And we've seen, you know, significant declines in HIV nationally, including here in Rhode Island, due to uh, the effort of a great many wonderful people. One thing that's often left off the radar are other sexually transmitted infections. And these are things, as you alluded to, like syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. Uh, these are bacterial STIs that uh, do cause a significant amount of morbidity. And in fact, this past year, as some folks may be aware, we've seen a significant uptick across the U.S., including here in Rhode Island, about congenital syphilis. And congenital syphilis specifically can result in many things up to and including fetal death. So it's a very serious infection. And syphilis itself can cause things from uh, early dementia, early cardiovascular disease, strokes, heart attacks, uh, et cetera. So these other bacterial STIs are not certainly not benign. And unlike HIV, which has been decreasing, these other bacterial STIs have really been exponentially increasing uh, over the last decade. So in general, we just need to do more uh, you know, just to, to kind of put some numbers to it, right, about, uh, you know, every year in Rhode Island, we have about 70 to 80 new HIV infections. Uh, we have, you know, 3,000 chlamydia infections, uh, over 1,000 gonorrhea infections, and, you know, at least a couple hundred syphilis infections. So uh, so definitely these other bacterial STIs are are much more common. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think what's what's difficult is that the bacterial, you know, HIV cannot be eradicated, but it can be controlled. We can eradicate or, you know, prevent uh, these bacterial STIs. And so it's unfortunate that they're increasing. Um, what has Open Door Health done in terms of uh, are, are you using DoxyPAP or what is your what are the services in terms of screening? You want to talk a little more about that, please? So Open Door Health is a clinic uh, that uh, it's the only LGBTQ-focused community-based clinic uh, in the state. Uh, we opened it specifically to focus on the LGBTQ community. 
And I think one uh, one area, there's many different uh, diseases and and health issues that that disproportionately impact the LGBTQ community. But one of those tends to be sexual health in general, and especially among gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men, we do see disproportionately high rates of HIV and syphilis uh, and gonorrhea especially. Uh, chlamydia is much more in the general population. We do see more cisgender young females who tend to be uh, infected and affected by chlamydia. Uh, but some of these other STIs we definitely see um, uh, focused, uh, or at least a large concentration among gay and bisexual men. And so one thing that we've done at Open Door Health specifically uh, is uh, very you know, LGBT-focused, uh, culturally competent, really cutting-edge sexual health services. So uh, we offer HIV prep, obviously. Uh, we do injectable prep. Uh, we try to, we allow walk-ins. We try to get people in as soon as possible. Uh, and we also have something called standing orders for nurses, meaning our nurses actually are testing and treating uh, for uh, for a lot of these under uh, you know my supervision a uh, medical provider supervision, uh, but really our entire staff is educated, aware, uh, and trained to deal with all these STIs. Frankly, so you've touched on the um, work mitigating the spread of HIV um, through the the therapies and the standing orders. So those already have established guidelines. How have um, having guidelines kind of played a role in that work? Yeah, so for for prep, um, HIV prep, uh, I mean they're instrumental, right? All of us in medicine, all of us physicians, really generally follow guidelines, best practices. And when we talk about HIV prep, the CDC has some clinical guidelines that we all follow. I encourage uh, the clinicians on the call or pharmacists to to look into those if you're interested. Available on the CDC website, the, you know, they're the CDC HIV uh, prep guidelines. And then there's also the CDC's uh, STI treatment guidelines, which are really the foundation and the basis uh, in this country and really for many parts of the world in terms of treating STIs. Uh, so we definitely follow those. And there's also uh, HIV guidelines put out by the federal government that are and all these as we talk about these recommendations, all these recommendations are comprised and go through a very rigorous evidence based process uh, with lots of experts from across the country, sometimes from across the world that weigh in, uh, you know, physicians, pharmacists, uh, many other uh, experts uh, who, who weigh in to provide uh, the best evidence available. Thanks. That's we're using definitely using those guidelines, Elisa and I are. Uh, have the honor of helping uh, inform the regulations for PrEP guidelines for pharmacists and trying to expand access to those things. And and we hope to, you know, expand it perhaps to, to DoxyPep. Um, there's guidelines the CDC is currently getting public comment on just a couple more days here uh, for DoxyPep for STI prevention. Um, how do you think that the result of those guidelines and the public input will affect the utilization of DoxyPep for STI prevention? Yeah, it's a great question. So as I mentioned, you know, these other bacterial STIs have really been exponentially increasing uh, across the U.S., including here in Rhode Island. So uh, so someone had this brilliant idea, right, of doxycycline as post-exposure prophylaxis. So a couple of nuances here. First off, it's doxycycline. You know, one question I generally ask my audience is, is how many people have taken doxycycline? And usually 90% of people raise your hand, right? It's very common. Uh, you know, it's common for acne. You know, I think I've taken it for malaria prophylaxis. We use it for Lyme prophylaxis, Lyme treatment, uh, and many other things that are out there. 
It's also, you know, if you look at STIs, it's also the first line treatment now for chlamydia. It's a, it's a backup alternative treatment for syphilis, uh, and it has some activity against gonorrhea. So it kind of makes sense that maybe doxycycline works as a, as a prophylactic agent against these bacterial STIs. And in fact, that's just what happened is someone studied it started in 2015. And then this real landmark study came out uh, in August, uh, this past August, that showed that it works. Uh, and if you look at it, right, it works about 80%-ish uh, in terms of preventing uh, chlamydia and syphilis and about 50% for against gon gonorrhea. That's because there's some baseline resistance to gonorrhea. In general, when you're treating an infection, right, with, uh, with doxycycline, you're generally giving 100 milligrams twice a day, you know, once in the morning, once in the evening. With doxycycline PEP, you're generally giving 200 milligrams, ideally within 24 hours, but up to 72 hours after having um, sex, either oral sex uh, anal sex or vaginal sex. And it's 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 really quite effective. And uh, I think what's exciting is we are expecting some seats, some formal CDC recommendations, uh, either in uh, uh, hopefully by December that should come out. I think a, a couple important caveats here is that the studies that have been done are really only been done among gay and bisexual men and transgender women today. So really the formal recommendations are really gonna focus on those groups, not to say that it can or shouldn't be used in cisgender um, heterosexual women who may be at higher risk. Uh, but I think folks should just be aware that there was one study presented at Croy this past year called the DPEP Kenyan study that actually showed no efficacy in cisgender heterosexual women. And the reason for that, uh, this was presented at another conference during the summer, uh, was due to low adherence in the groups uh, that actually allowed the, you know, it kind of made the results a wash. So it's not that we don't think that it's effective in cisgender women. We do. The pharmacokinetic data um, su suggests that it should be, and we expect that it should be. Uh, but there's no efficacy trials out there yet. And so that at least gives some pause uh, until the data really gets there. Uh, and certainly myself as a practicing physician, you know, yes, we can talk about this. Yes, certainly for gay bisexual men, transgender women, and kind of more of a shared decision, uh, recommendation, uh, decision with, uh, with cisgender heterosexual women. So, um, some other questions people have been having with, um, long-term doxycycline use is questions about its safety for longer term, um, aside from its generally safe profile. And I did read your recent publication on this issue where um, you and your co-authors concluded that mild, moderate side effects were common and more serious ones were less common. And uh, majority of the studies investigated were on daily doxycycline use. Uh, would you mind elaborating a bit more on this? Yeah, thank you. So I think one thing for folks to keep in mind is that doxycycline was first approved in the 1960s. So there's been a wealth of data out there about side effects, adverse events uh, due to doxycycline. And as I mentioned, a lot of you know generally otherwise healthy people take this medication, whether it be for malaria prophylaxis while traveling, right, for months outside the country, or for acne, um, uh, you know, in in adolescence or as a young adult. Uh, so we know a lot about doxycycline, and what we know about it. Uh, is that people, there are some side effects associated with it. So de definitely gastrointestinal, uh, nausea, vomiting, you know, abdominal pain, definitely rashes. Uh, classically, there's been described a, um, a photosensitive rash from being outside. Uh, with respect to the GI stuff, one of the classic things that's been described is uh, pill esophagitis, where the pill gets caught uh, in the esophagus and, and causes some erosions and, and ulcerations, which obviously can be painful. And then the third category of um, broadly of uh, side effects that can occur are neurological. Uh, it's definitely been reported about headaches and dizziness, 
uh, et cetera. I think when, you know, this is one of the, the challenges of just synthesizing data. I mean, I think when you look at the data out there, there's a lot of very, very heterogeneous, diverse studies that have commented on doxycycline in some regard. And, you know, sometimes it's tough to pull out uh, in the population that we're interested in, right? People, otherwise healthy people uh, taking this medication intermittently uh, to, to tell about side effects and adverse events. And I, I think most studies have looked at this in a continuous fashion, not as post-exposure prophylaxis, which means right very periodically, uh, or at least some degree of, you know, of, of not being routine. Um, but I think that some of the data really shows that in general, doxycycline is safe. Uh, and Dr. Bratberg, feel free to chime in on this as well. But I think most of us can, you know, consider doxycycline pretty safe. There are some nuances of it. And I think as with most things in medicine, it really should be a, a shared decision uh, with the person, you know, based on, on risk, et cetera. Yeah, I think pharmacists listening here and pharmacy students and others, you know, it's all about informing the patient, whether they've been prescribed it and they have to take it, or I think that's what makes prophylactic therapy. And, you know, you're, you have a wealth of experience in, um, in, in, in uh, motivating people to take PrEP and, you know, it's greater efficacy when there's greater adherence. We probably see that with OxyPep. Um, but, you know, being aware of these side effects and how to avoid them, like avoiding the pilosophagitis by taking with a large glass of water or milk, you know, avoiding milk so that it doesn't decrease its, its absorption from calcium containing products and things. Uh, uh, you know, I think just making people aware of those things so that they, they know what to expect and they know how to avoid it. And it's hopefully, I don't know what your experience is, but have people reported side effects or intolerable side effects where they stop, stop using doxypep? I don't know what your clinical experience has been to this point. So for, you know, I've definitely used a lot of doxycycline to treat various infections. And, you know, I, I mean, I feel like 99% of the time people do fine on it. It's, a, again, a very common, relatively safe uh, medication. Uh, again, the experience, uh, you know, using periodic doxycycline, I think is still building up. I'm even more reassured, right, that using it, uh, periodically should even result in even less side effects, you know, given that you're only uh, taking, you know, a dose here and there. So you also touched on the shared clinical decision-making, which will be a, um, you know, important in the decision to use doxypep in certain patients. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, shared clinical decision-making is when healthcare providers and patients work together to make decisions considering the patient preferences alongside the medical expertise. Um, this sometimes can be a difficult conversation for um, providers and patients to have. Do you have any tips or experiences from your practice or research on how to kind of successfully navigate and facilitate those conversations? I think the first thing is to recognize that just sex in general is sensitive, right? I mean, I, you know, whether you be a pharmacist or a clinician, primary care doctor, really just anyone, it's just, it's always a little bit uncomfortable for a lot of people and certainly for, for providers. You know, one thing I'm reminded is that as you talk to people, uh, people are generally, you know, this, the conversation is uncomfortable if you feel uncomfortable. Uh, so you have to develop sort of a comfort in talking about sensitive topics, whether or not it be sex, right, or drugs or whatever else you're talking about, and just keeping it to that professional level, uh, et cetera. I mean, a couple of tips. First off, you know, you want to be curious and you want to, at the end of the day, I mean, you're asking these questions because you want to appropriately and accurately counsel someone. You know, I generally, one, you want to create a, a welcoming, affirming environment 
Uh, again, you want to ask questions. You want to not make judgment calls. Uh, and I usually start off these conversations by just asking a bunch of questions. So, you know, first, not even about sex, you know, tell me about yourself, what's going on, you know, how's your day? <laughs> and then you can get into the sex questions. And usually the way I start that is, you know, I just want to, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, uh, sex today. You know, are you sexually active? You know, when you are sexually active, do you tend to have male, female, uh, or or another type of partners? You know, tell me about that. How many partners have you had in the past few months? Do you tend to use condoms? And just asking some of these very sort of basic sexual overview questions can really start to give you a sense of, for example, may this be person uh, be an appropriate candidate for doxypep or frankly, HIV prep or a number of other things as well. So really you just want to open the door uh, to uh, to uh, get these conversations started. And then at the end of the day, you know what? You just want to meet the person where they're at. I mean, I, I think I'm also reminded too that just the fact this person's in front of me, right? The fact that we're having this conversation is a win because how many people out there are there that you just don't even talk to about sex or have that conversation? So at least for me, when that person's in front of me, uh, you know, a lot of times I'm doing the testing, uh, you know, just the fact that they're showing up and we're having this conversation and I'm testing for, you know, HIV and other STIs is a win. And so I think that there's some affirmation that needs to occur there. You know, you know, thank you for showing up today. You know, happy to chat about this now or in the future. And also reminding too that these conversations that we happen today sometimes have significant downstream effects uh, where people may not start doxypep today or HIV prep today. Uh, but, you know, you may have made that difference and, you know, maybe next week they'll come in or maybe with their, their you know, primary care provider appointment next month, it will come up and, you know, you've planted the seed. So be curious. Uh, the other thing that I'll mention that I just uh, that I, I try to normalize is uh, that people are having a lot of sex. Right. So I think people a lot of times are a little bit reluctant to say, oh, I've been having, you know, five partners this past month uh, or, or, you know, I've met partners online. So. One thing that I'll often try to do uh, before the other person answers, I'll say, you know, you know, thank you for sharing uh, whatever they just shared. Um, I'll say, you know, I'm going to, you know, things like doxypep, which I want to talk to you a little bit about today are, you know, meant for people that are having more than one partner. I find a lot of times that, you know, a lot of folks that walk in here are having multiple partners, sometimes, you know, five or more, 10 or more, you know, every couple of months, you know, I find that they're meeting partners online, potentially on Grindr. Um, and I, frankly, I find that there's a lot of people that report not using condoms to me, you know, for, and there's many reasons why someone may not use condoms. And so if you just listen, what I did in that sentence, I kind of, uh, just, I, I normalized having multiple partners, meeting partners, not using condoms. And hopefully that at least makes people a little bit more comfortable to share because they're thinking, oh, you know, Dr. Chan has heard about this before, you know, he's, you know, he's you know, this is, this is uh, what he's heard and, you know, this is what I'm doing. So now I'm more comfortable sharing. So uh, just some tips like that, but at the end of the day, you really want to be non-judgmental. You really want to be, create that, um, that environment that makes it comfortable really for people to share about themselves and, and uh, about sex in general. You know, I've often said that health, you know, health professionals in general have an incredibly difficult job, right? Because a lot of times you're talking to people you've never met before. And in that five to 10 minute conversation, you know, you want to get their, their, their potentially their darkest uh, secrets out there, uh, et cetera. And that sometimes, frankly, is just an impossible task. Uh, but, you know, there are some tricks that you can use. And I'm also, of course, not naive enough to think that people tell me everything. Uh, but I think, you know, and I think we have to keep that in mind, right? As we're counseling people. So, I mean, I have people tell me, you know, come in and, uh, you know, I sort of get the sense that they may be downplaying. 
And that's okay. And you just say like, look, well, if you're ever at a point in your life or you ever want to consider, you know, HIV prep or doxycycline prep is really for people that are having, you know, not really, you know, not in a monogamous relationship and really having, you know, a partner or two or more uh, a month, you know, those are the situations that you want to, you may want to consider HIV prep or doxypep, or if any of your friends or anyone in your network, um, uh, you can, you know, can, you know, consider educating them and referring them in. Really puts the, you know, puts the meaning of open door and open door health. I mean, you can, you can use that one for me, but uh, that's, it's really fascinating that kind of conversation and normalization and lack of judgment. And and yet, like you said, leaving the door open for, I'm sure the second and third conversation past that initial two strangers meeting really seems to work. Um, I'm sure you use that for other, not just PrEP and, and DoxyPep, but what are some other steps that you sort of include in, in conversations with anyone about how to better manage the spread of STIs? We have lots of different interventions. We clearly need an all hands on deck approach because of the exponential rise in STIs. So maybe it's good to just sort of review the highlights of other ways to prevent STIs. Sure. So I think, you know, again, really want to highlight uh, that the backbone of both HIV and other STIs is really testing, um, testing, 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 uh, and then early treatment uh, for those that are positive, whether or not it be HIV uh, or other STIs, you know, cure in the terms of these other STIs, and then uh, reminding folks too, that when someone has HIV and is on meds and undetectable, they don't transmit to others. So just testing is key because if you don't know you have it, right, then you're at risk of potentially transmitting on. So that's really, you know, option one through 10 uh, is just affirming uh, and encouraging people to get tested uh, and then obviously treating once they are positive. You know, the other sort of age-old uh, approach, of course, is condoms. Uh, condoms we should still recommend and encourage. Uh, I, I think we, though, we need to be realistic that people don't use condoms for a lot of reasons, uh, and we just need to be realistic about it. We can still educate folks about it and recommend them, but, you know, need to step, uh, you know, just to be careful not to uh, overly rely on condoms uh, because we don't want people to, to lie to us about using them. And we don't want, uh, you know, there are a number of other ways that people can protect themselves. Certainly for HIV prep, uh, for HIV, there's HIV prep. Uh, now, excitingly, right, for these other STIs, uh, there's uh, doxypep. Uh, and then there's other things that people can do, right? Like uh, asking your partners to get tested uh, before, you know, you have sex with them for the first time. Uh, you can cut down on your partners. You know, there's monogamy. Uh, I'll even drop the A-bomb, abstinence. Uh, that may not be the right option for a lot of people, uh, but not, nonetheless, still an option. Uh, you know, there's vaccines for some of these STIs. We didn't talk about it much today, but like HPV, uh, things like hepatitis B virus. Uh, there's some really amazing vaccines out there. And, you know, if you're listening and younger, you should definitely get, uh, should hopefully have gotten both of those. Uh, and and hopefully in the future, there'll be some other things, there'll be some other vaccines that are out there that are coming out for these other STIs. So there's a number of different options uh, and in, up to including just adjusting your sexual behaviors, right? So one thing that we know, uh, for example, is that oral sex, uh, you can't really get HIV from oral sex. So sometimes people just have oral sex with partners that they don't know as well. Uh, I will say though, for these other STIs, they can actually be pretty commonly uh, transmitted by oral sex. So you may be able to prevent HIV, but you at least want to be educated uh, that you can still get these other STIs. And at the end of the day, I think Dr. Brackberg, to your point is that, you know, you know, we want to educate people and 
you know, people are going to make their own decisions. But, you know, one of my goals is just to arm people with that education. Uh, and then, you know, it'll be up to them on how to use it. Uh, but, I, you know, at the very least, I think it's a win. And in general, we want to encourage people to at least have these conversations, to talk about it, to check in with a provider, with the pharmacist, just check in with a health professional somewhere uh, to, to, to be educated about these issues. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, those are all great tidbits of advice and, and steps we can take. Um, so to kind of come full circle here, um, we have to ask, what is the regimen for pharmacists and pharmacy students, what we can do to support DoxyPEP? I think the first thing is just for you all to be aware about it. Again, I think any at any point, you know, when these new things come out, there's always just a, a significant lack of information out there. Uh, so I think just read about it. Go to the CDC's website. Just, uh, you know, just take the time to to peruse the information and and understand uh, who may be the person uh, that may be right for this. Uh, again, just really encouraging in general that, you know, for gay and bisexual men, especially other men who have sex with men, you really want to educate them now just not about doxypep, but also about HIV prep. And again, just the importance of routine testing, routine testing, routine testing, uh, including for hepatitis C as well, which is a different topic, but one that's uh, also like to sneak in there. Uh, and then, of course, you know, just counseling folks uh, about uh, about doxypep who may be appropriate. I think, too, the one thing uh, that I'll throw out there is that uh, as a pharmacist, if you're dispensing HIV treatment meds or if you're dispensing uh, HIV prep, that it may be worth it to sneak in just a quick line or two about doxy, um, doxypep, like, hey, I noticed, you know, you want to be, again, make sure this is, you know, a private conversation and confidential. Um, but if you notice someone uh, that, you know, obtaining uh, HIV prep or HIV treatment ARVs, uh, you know, a lot of the studies were done in, in those groups. So um, people on HIV prep, uh, we know, are also at risk of other STIs. So offering them or educating them about doxypep. And similarly, people with HIV are still at risk of these other STIs, including the complications. And even in people who are HIV positive who get an STI, uh, a lot of times they're more likely to transmit HIV uh, because uh, when an HIV positive person has uh, has another bacterial STI, it increases the the risk of transmission. So in those two groups, especially, uh, there's already a little bit of a flag there because they may be on PrEP, HIV PrEP, or HIV ARVs. It may be worth just sneaking in there uh, a quick line or two about doxypep education. Thank you. Um, so I think that's all we have for today. Um, that was a great conversation. Uh, once again, thank you so much to our incredible guest, Dr. Philip Chan, who are joining us, providing us great expertise and insight throughout our discussion today. Thank you very much. For echo, absolutely. I echo the thanks and so so great to have this uh, conversation on this great topic. Um, we uh, encourage all our listeners to smash that subscribe button on wherever you get podcasts. Uh, if you found us through social media, you'll find us even more at farmd pub at, at our uh at our uh, our handle at farmd pub health that's p h a r m d pub health uh, on all socials linkedin uh x formerly known as twitter uh instagram and and linkedin so and on youtube if you're listening to youtube find us and follow us on all those other socials thank you so much for listening today we look forward to having you on our next episode <laughs>